And this section was better than this section. There you go. <laughs> Only because Billy started the service sitting over here, and he moved over here. <laughs> hey, we're excited to see all of you. For those of you who are, who are regular members of this church, I know it's a little weird to see the song leader start preaching. Today it's just going to be a little weird. Um, many thanks to Ken DeBose. He covered my class for me this morning. I normally teach the, the adult Bible class on Sunday mornings. And I, I sent him an email, I think it was or a text Wednesday, Thursday, I don't know which day. And I said, hey, I don't want to teach and he's singing and preach all on the same day. Because it'll look like the Earl and the Earl and the Earl show or something like that. And I didn't want to do that. And, and I said, so you either get to lead singing or teach. And he said, if I lead singing, we'll both be excommunicated. <laughs> So uh, I'm very, very happy that Ken taught my class, so I get a few minutes to spend with you here this morning. We're going to talk about the Tower of the Babel and kind of tell you the rest of the story. Many of you are familiar with this story. E even if you haven't gone to church very much in your life, you've probably heard something about this story uh, somewhere in your past. And the story is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verses 1 to 8. I'm not going to take the time to read all of that, but I just want to tell you the story. There's this wonderful, wonderful uh, expression that happens in, in the time of the earliest days of people being in the earth. It seems that all of the people were kind of gathering in one place and they decided they wanted to build a temple to reach up into heavens. They wanted to be with God. Have any of you ever felt like you wanted to be with God and would like to go to heaven? I would. With all due respect, every, I, I promise you, every single time that I've had to preside or assist with a funeral, whether it's whether I'm speaking or the hundreds and hundreds of funerals that I stood at graveside when I was working at Greenwood Cemetery down in San Diego, I'm telling you, every time I would stand at the graveside or help with a funeral, there's a part of me on the inside of me that's ready to check out. Now, I don't need psychoanalysis or anything. I'm not saying I'm suicidal. Don't, don't call you know, 911 or report me for a 3130 or anything like that. All I'm offering to you is there's a part of me that longs to go to heaven. A huge part of me is anxious. And I live in expectation, an anxious expectation for that every single day of my life. Now, I don't stand in front of buses, and I don't play in the, in the streets, and I don't carry loaded weapons or anything like that. I just have this longing. I just have this longing to be with the Lord. And I believe with all of my heart that the people who are trying to build this tower into heaven had a longing to be with God. There is something innate within all of us, regardless of the people, regardless of the part of the world in which we live, there's something innate within all of us that calls us to seek out something that is greater than we are. Care what culture you look at, however civilized or, or uncivilized you may perceive it to be, there's something within us that has always called us to another place. That's what's happening here. And so they start building this, this temple up into heaven. And they build it and they build it, and all of a sudden, the God of heaven, who, by the way, is the same God who has created these guys. This mic sounds really hot to me. I don't know if it is to you, but it sounds like I'm echoing out here. If it's not, it's okay, it's just my ears. So this God who created these people, he looks down upon them and he makes this statement to them. He says, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now, I have a confession to make. I had titled the sermon and I had presented and prepared the whole thing for the sermon long before anything happened in Dallas this week. Before any of that ever happened. 
But this expression would change the world in which we live. Because if we as a people could ever learn to speak the same language, the language of love, if we could ever learn to speak that with one another, regardless of our race, our nationality, our age, our gender, regardless of any of the choices in life that we make, whether good or bad, if we could just learn to speak the same language in love, nothing would be impossible for us. And guess what? We wouldn't have people pulling the trigger. I want you guys to realize something. The world that God created in the very beginning in the very, very beginning, is the same world that, he, that we live in today. Everything that God created has already been created. All of the things that we get to experience in our lives, they're already here. Now it's taken us a few years to figure some of it out. But the reality is, all of the things that we have experienced, experience, all of the discoveries that we've made, all of the advances in science that we get to live and enjoy, they're already here. This little blue dot on the screen is an electron. And some crazy scientists in Sweden, they took pictures of this thing, man. They were able to video this thing, and guess what? It keeps moving. Blows my mind. I don't know a lot about quantum physics. I'm not even sure I know how to spell quantum. I can handle physics. But I don't know how to spell quantum sometimes. I don't understand all of that. But I know this, as hard as this podium is, as hard as this is, inside of it, microscopically, those little electrons, they're moving around. Everything we have around us is in constant state of flux and motion. And I know this, the way that you look at something changes the way that it behaves. And I know that because the guys that did some of this research, when they looked at these things differently, they changed the way that they behaved. And I don't get that. But I know that that's real. When we look at something a certain way, we take this in and we see it and we have perceptions about it. And we look at it and we analyze it and some of it we delete, some of it we reconfigure to fit our own scheme of what the world is supposed to look like. All of the things in the world that you and I deal with, it's already there. Solomon said it probably the most succinctly, there's nothing new under the sun. And I don't even know if he knew what he was saying, but the reality is it's the truth, there's nothing new. Newton's wonderful experiment with gravity when the apple apparently hit him in the head and he's like, oh, there must be something that made that fall. It didn't jump up, it fell down. And then he comes up with these laws of thermodynamics and physics and all that kind of stuff. Again, I'm not sure how that works because I didn't take that course in high school. I took English. I learned how to read and write. I can do third grade math. But I know if there weren't laws of physics, I wouldn't be able to stand here before you today. I'd be floating. But none of that had ever changed. And when God created the world, those laws of physics were in place. They were there. They already existed. We just didn't know how to describe it. We just lived in the experience of it. And then there's this guy called Ben Franklin. But you know the guy. He's on our money. At least he was this year. I don't know if he'll be next year, but he has been most recently. I think he's on the $100 bill. Just shows you how often I carry those around to not know that he's really there. You know what I'm saying? But he discovered this thing called electricity. Did he invent it? No, he didn't invent it. He's not Al Gore. He didn't invent the Internet. He didn't invent electricity. 
And the reality is, you and I can't even, we can't even see electricity. It's just kind of there. And then there's this guy named Tesla who came along and figured out there was this thing called direct current. And then there was this other dude who talked about alternating currents. This is all I know about electricity. But if you touch either one of them the wrong way, you'll get lit up. <laughs> but it's always been here. It's always been here. God created the world and he created it in such a magnificent way. It just took us a long time to figure out how to capture and utilize the wonderful benefits of what you and I call electricity. And then Edison came along and he invented a light bulb. I've been told, I don't know this for sure because I've never been to his laboratory, but I've been told that his light bulb is still burning. It hasn't burned out. And I've also been told that the only reason that light bulbs burn out is because GE wants to sell you more light bulbs. And if they sold you a light bulb that never burned out, they would be a one-time sale and you would never have to buy any more again and they would be out of business. It's the same way with tires on your car. I know for a fact that Goodyear and Firestone could invent and create a tire that would never wear out, but they would only sell you one set. It's called the process of economy. Guys, all of this stuff is here. It's always been here. And then there's this thing called radio. Some of you are old enough to remember radio when that was the only thing to listen to. Some of you are old enough to remember sitting around grandma or grandpa's house and, or someone in the street or in the neighborhood who had a radio and you remember listening to that. Some of you remember when the remote control was you for the television because you're sitting in the living room and your dad said, hey, get up and change the channel. And you went to one of only three channels that you even had. Some of you are old enough to remember that. And some of you don't even know what black and white television looks like because you've never seen it. It was always here. Do you think that somewhere in the early 1900s or late 1800s, all of a sudden God decided, hey, you know what, bam, let's create something new. Let's create radio waves. Do you think he did that? No. They've always been here. They've always been here. They've never not been here. It just took us a long time to figure out how to utilize them and how to capture them and how to see them. And the reality is there's some of those things we still don't understand and we still don't know how or why it's, it's, it's the way that it is. Because you see, we haven't learned to speak with one language. Here's the most amazing thing about the story of the Tower of Babel. It's not the confounding of the languages. That's not it. That was just a side note. It just so happened that we read that story and that's the way that God chose to create all of these languages and they're all over the world. And I speak one language, barely, English. I attempted Spanish. I can find the bathroom. I can order tacos. I can get rice sometimes, and I confuse rice with gold, and sometimes they're like, why do you want gold with your fish tacos? Because the words are similar. I don't speak Czechoslovakian, I don't speak Russian, I don't speak Swahili. I don't know any of those languages. But I will tell you, people are people are people, regardless of the language that they speak. Lynn and I were at the beach yesterday. We went over to the beach, and there was this wonderful family. And I know that they were like Eastern European, or Slavic language or Russian language or something because the adults in the family were speaking in that language. Now the children were speaking beautiful English and I understood every word that they're saying, but the adults in the family were not and they were speaking some language that was Eastern European and I'm telling you, there, there is absolutely zero difference between them and me 
when my kids were their children's age. Because when Lynn and I took our kids to the beach, we would stand on the edge of the water and the kids would get their toes wet and they would yell and scream and they would get happy and one would get too wet and he would cry. And then another one would say, Mommy, I have to go to the bathroom. And they go to the bathroom and there's no toilet paper. And all of that was going on with this family. There's no difference in them than me, but they speak a whole different language. But everything that God has created has always been here. And if you and I could learn to speak a language that is consistent in our heart and mind and soul, and if we could learn to say things that are, that are congruent, equal with what we believe on the inside, guess what? Nothing we plan would be impossible. Now, see, here's the challenge. Here's the rub with us. We think things are impossible. We do. And I want to challenge you with something about this thing about believing things are impossible. Do you know why you believe things are impossible? With all of my heart, the reason I within me believe that things are impossible is because I was trained to believe that. Because you take any two, three, four, five, six-year-old kid, and you follow that kid around for a few days, and that kid will tell you he or she can do anything in the world and believe it with all of their heart. And for some reason, as they grow older, we as adults have a way of kind of squashing that down and putting down their ability and their dream and the possibilities. And as we grow older, if we're not careful, the older that we get, the fewer dreams that we do have and the more impossibilities we believe are true. And all of a sudden, we wake up one morning and we are the grumpy old man or woman because we've lost the ability to dream. Nothing they plan will be impossible for them. I want you to understand something about this statement. The God of heaven who created these people who were building this tower made a statement about his creation and he says nothing they plan will be impossible for them if they speak the same language. So is God a liar? No. So what do we do with this? What do we do with a statement like this from God? This is not one of the prophets making this up. This was God speaking about his people. Jesus says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Is that true? Is it true? See, the reality is, intellectually, we'll say, yes, I believe that to be true because Jesus said this. Intellectually. But in the world of reality where we live, because sometimes our reality is not exactly in touch with our theory, in the world of reality where we live, we don't necessarily believe this. Because we've had things happen in our lives where we have actually asked for something and sought it out and knocked on the door, and guess what? We didn't get the answer we were expecting or that we wanted, and so we've deemed it to be an untruth. And we live our lives in a state of confusion and misguided perceptions and beliefs because we're not sure that this is really true. But guys, these are the words of Jesus. 
And if Jesus says this, I think it's true. Paul, wonderful expression that he shares in 2 Corinthians. God's able to bless you abundantly so that in all your things and all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. We could just stop right there, close the sermon, and send you home to think about that for the next 48 hours and see what happens with your life. One of the most amazing things that we have to deal with and struggle with is a mindset of scarcity versus a mindset that says God always provides. He always provides. They freely scatter their gifts to the poor, the righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of righteousness and you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through generosity result in thanksgiving to God. What God has created has always been. He created a people who when we learn to speak the right language, when we learn to say the right things, when we learn to think in the right way, and when we do the right thing, guess what? Nothing is impossible for us. He sent His Son Jesus to give His life for us because of our sin. But in the process of giving His life to us and offering Himself as a sacrifice, He said to us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, it will be opened unto you. And yet we sit back and we wonder, well, should I really look for that? Should I ask for that? Should I really go looking for that? Can I knock on that door? What God created has always been. It's up to us to discover what He's created. In the same way that Ben Franklin put a key on a string and realized that there was this little thing called electricity, in the same way that Newton sat around and thought about these things, these laws of physics, and started to write them down. In the same way that all of those ancient philosophers back in the days of, of uh, Pythagoras, <laughs> I can't believe I remember that name. That's from the ninth grade, baby. All those guys doing that math back there in the old days? Seriously. How'd they figure that out? I have no idea. But aren't we glad they did? Because you see, had they not figured any of that out, this building wouldn't be standing here. And we wouldn't be sitting in there. And no one would have figured out how to create that foam stuff that keeps you comfortable as you're sitting on these chairs. And we could be like uh, some of the churches of old who didn't have any seats and we just came and we all stood. Be a shorter service, I promise you that. So what have you planned? Because this is really where it gets down to. Because, see, here's the thing. When you and I think the right things, when we say the right words and we do the right thing, and when those are all the same thing, when we have congruency in what we're saying and what we're thinking and what we're actually doing, then guess what? Things really do happen in the way that God intended for them to happen for us. And we really can begin to live lives that are, that, that are possible lives and not impossible lives. Because you see, when you, don't, when you don't have congruency in your body, when you don't have congruency in your heart and in your mind and what you say, guess what? You self-destruct. Have you ever known anyone who walked around like this? I just feel terrible today. I don't feel very good today. I just feel terrible. Are they fun to be around? I mean, seriously, think about it. We've all awakened on a morning or two when we didn't feel really good. And, and if we keep thinking about that and thinking like that, how much improved does our day get as the day passes? 
Uh, not very. We stay very, very distraught. We, we stay depressed. We stay sickly. We stay with dis-ease. What happens when what we say and what we do and what we think are the same? Guess what? Things, amazing things begin to happen. So what is your plan for the church? Uh, preachers count 188. Am I close? And I know that number because for the last seven or eight or nine or 10 or 12 weeks, we've been averaging right at 188 people. We just have. I see the numbers every week because Steve counts them and Alicia sends the email out and that's about where we're at. 188 folks. So what's to keep this church from being 1,800? Well, all in one building at one time. You're right, Billy. Fire code. But we could have three services in a Sunday and have three different sermons and services and songs and all that stuff and we could get 1,800 people on the property, right? Not a problem. The only challenge is with that is I'm not sure that there are enough of us in the building who have been thinking that it's, number one, possible that we could do that. Number two, we haven't been considering the fact that if we say that and speak that and practice that, that God will actually make it come into being because I'm not sure that any of us really believe God and take Him at His word when He says, if you ask, seek, and knock, those things will happen. Nor have we really believed His word that if we speak the same language one with another, nothing that you plan is impossible. I'm not sure we understand that as a church. And if you take it down just a little bit further, just to your own spiritual life, what kind of spiritual life do you have right now? What would you like to have? Because guess what? This is not a secret. There's nothing that I'm hiding here. It's all in the Bible. You're going to get what you say. As a man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. What kind of spiritual life do you have? There's an old Chinese proverb goes something like this. Man who sits on side of a mountain a long time waiting on roasted duck to fly in his mouth won't eat very much. It's not really a Chinese proverb. I made that up. But it's a fact. <laughs> if you want a strong, deep, in-depth spiritual life, but you do nothing to engage in that, guess how, good of a, how deep and strong of a spiritual life you'll have? Uh, you won't. You won't. I'm very happy to stand before you this morning about 15 pounds lighter than I was six weeks ago. I didn't lose that weight for you. I didn't even lose that weight for my wife. I lost that weight for me. And I made a decision that the last time I preached, I was way too fat. Because we're videotaping this thing, and when I would do a side angle, it's like, ooh, that just doesn't look very good. And I was in a white shirt, and I promised not to ever wear a white shirt again when I preach, because I don't want to see that again. But I made the decision, and it wasn't just me, I, I, but I made the decision to change some things, and I did, and it's working. Same is true with your spiritual life. I'm not even going to ask you how many hours a week you watch television, compared to how many hours you spend in prayer and meditation and reading and meditating with God in His Word. And I'm not going to ask you how many hours a week, those of you who are still full-time employed, I'm not going to ask you how many hours a week you work compared to the amount of time that you invest in your relationship with God. Because I know those of you who are still full-time employed or even part-time employed, you spend enough hours and enough time within your realm of employment to make it work because the reality is you probably don't cherish the thought of being fired. 
And if you don't perform at a certain level, they will call you and say, it's been really nice, but we're going to figure out tomorrow how to get along without you. Your spiritual life is important. What you say and what you think and what you do have to be in congruence. They have to be the same thing. Don't tell me that you want a close relationship with God and you show up here once a month and you haven't read your Bible since the last time you were here when we quoted the scripture before the sermon and the communion. Because that's going to be a hard one to sell me on. It's going to even be more difficult for you to have that walk. What about your family? Some of you are single. I get it. I do. You don't have kids at home. You don't have a wife or husband at home. I totally get that. You have extended family. Guess what? If you don't have anyone else, guess who's your family? We are. For those of you who have families, wife, children, spouse, what kind of family life do you have? And again, it's all about planning, guys. It's all about planning. I've heard people say over the years, well, I want to have quality time with my kids. Congratulations, everyone does. But you cannot have quality time just because you decide to have quality time. Because the moment that you decide to have quality time, your kid is more interested in doing this. True or not? That's the world we live in. I've seen commercials. I've done this with my wife. I'm sitting there playing with my phone. Or I'm looking at Facebook on my computer and I send her something on Facebook on her computer because she's looking at her computer doing the same thing I'm doing. And then we have a good chuckle. I can't believe you did that. Oh, so wake up. Here I am. I'm on this side of the room. Or she says that to me. Good. What about your family? How about your career? How about your retirement? We have a few people in this room who are retired. Not going to call you out, Vic, but some of us in the room are retired. We are. Or you are. I'm not. <laughs> you, you are retired. What are you going to do in retirement? Shocker. You're not going to like this. But you know, there's not anywhere in all the Bible that talks about retiring. There really isn't. That's a new concept, man, in the world. Now, now in the Old Testament, when you got so sick you couldn't work anymore, the family took care of you. But I'm just telling you, man, all, for all of history, we just kind of work until we're done. We created the concept of retirement. We, people, especially 20th century people, created the concept of retirement. And I love the idea of not having to go to work anymore and have enough money in the bank or in your fund and your, your pension, whatever it is that you have, that will allow you to do whatever you want to do on any given day that you want to do it. But my question is, what are you planning to do with your days? Because if you plan nothing, nothing happens. And then we wonder. Mark 9 Jesus said, or they ask him, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything. See, this is the problem with the Bible. They use these crazy words that are all-encompassing, and it just really annoys me to the end of the day. Because why in the world would Jesus say everything if he didn't mean it? See, it just really bugs me. Paul, over there in 2 Corinthians, God is able to make all things abound to you so that in everything, in all things, you would have all that you need. I wish he'd have chosen a better word because it'd take me off the hook. But you see, I'm just crazy enough to believe the Bible. And I'll even go so far as to say this. 
I'm conservative enough to believe the Bible and take it literally for what it says. I don't mind making that statement, which is a little weird and off the wall for some people. But I'm just conservative enough in my thinking and belief of the New Testament and Old Testament that God really did say what He meant, and He meant what He said, and He would like for us to accept it that way. So Jesus says everything is possible for one who believes. But where there's no vision, people perish. And this is the crux. Here's the challenge. Where's the vision? Where do you want to go? One of the coolest commercials I ever saw in my life was a few years ago in Microsoft when they launched another version of Internet Explorer said, where do you want to go today? That was not exactly the quote, but it's kind of what they were asking. Where do you want to go today? Guess what? You can go anywhere in the world with the Internet. Anywhere in the world you want to go. Push it in, baby. You'll get 50 million websites that talk about where you want to go today. But where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be in your walk with God? There's a wonderful, wonderful story in Matthew 17. Jesus says this, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, a mustard seed is small. It's dinky, it's small. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Listen carefully. Nothing will be impossible for you. One of those words, nothing. That means everything. Because if you take it from a negative, nothing will be impossible to a, po a positive statement. Everything is possible for you who believe. So what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? What kind of church would you like to be a part of? What kind of church would you like to join? You see, if as one people speaking the same language, they begin to build this tower into heaven, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. I don't want you to self-destruct. I don't want you to self-sabotage. Been there, done it. I got t-shirts. I got scars. I can show you some of that stuff. I can show you stuff in my life. I'm not going to do it, but it's there. Because there have been times in my life where what I said, what I thought, and what I was doing were not in harmony. And all of a sudden, guess what? Just kind of falls apart. You keep doing that long enough, a lot of stuff falls apart. Guys, God has called us to have faith beside a mustard seed. He has called us to believe. I don't want to get all into this, the, the language stuff, but I'm telling you, that concept of belief involves two things. The uh, concept of faith belong, uh, involves two things. It involves trusting and believing. Those are the two things combined together create faith. I know you believe in God. Why in the world would you come here today if you didn't believe in God? This is the last place in the world you want to be if you don't believe in God, because this is a church. But my real question is, do you trust Him? I know you believe in Him, but do you trust Him? Do you trust Him to seek to do that which you have, to this point in your life, deemed to be impossible? 
because you thought it was beyond your limitations. Well, I have news for you. It is not. It is not beyond your limitations. There is nothing that you and I cannot do with the help of God. Now, I'm talking about good stuff. I'm not talking about bad stuff. But guys, there's nothing that is impossible for us. When the words we say, the language that we use, when the thoughts in our minds and the things that we actually do, when they are congruent, it happens. And if you think about your life, you know that's true for you because there have been times in your life when what you were saying and what you were thinking and what you were doing were all in absolute harmony and bam, just like magic it appears. And it seemed almost miraculous. If you want to know the truth, it kind of is. Because that's what God does. That's what God does. So now you know the rest of the story. The Tower of Babel is not just about confounding languages. It's about an amazing God who created those very people who were building a tower, who made a statement about them that says, if these people who are speaking the same language can do this, nothing they plan will be impossible. If you ever get an email from me, tagline at the bottom of my email says, nothing you plan will be impossible. Because I believe that with all my heart. The real question is, what are you planning? What are you planning with your life? What are you planning for your church? What are you planning for your family, your retirement? What are you planning for your free time? Because you need a little bit of that. Even Jesus reclined and, and retreated to the mountains to get a little break. What are you planning? Sad part is, most of us go through life and we don't plan anything. We just kind of go with the flow. We just kind of go wherever the things take us. And I'm challenging you, I'm encouraging you to realize that you do not have to live that way. You don't have to live that way. You can plan things. You can believe in your heart with the faith the size of a mustard seed to do great things, and God will give you the power to do it. Will you glorify Him with your life? We're going to sing this song just a couple of verses, to remind you of the fact that all of us have been brought here into this place to bring glory to God with our lives and everything that we do. Whatever you say in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Do all to His glory. See, there you go again, those crazy words. Like all, whatever you do. What does that leave out? Nothing. Isn't that annoying? See, we don't have an out. We don't have an out. It either... It is or it isn't. I choose to live where it is. Where do you want to live? Let's stand and sing this song. If we can help you in any way, there's shepherds that will be here. They'll be in the back. They'll receive you to have prayer with you to help you in any way that we can. Let's sing this together. We will glorify the King of kings.